This is CliffCentral.com. I'm Jonathan And Ramon is present And Jonathan, um, did you take the communion uh, Said our blessed father and registered to vote yesterday? Indeed I did, Ramon I joined the religion of the holy lord of government I mean thankfully finally, you know, finally realized that it's a religion so yeah. I, I, I high-fived everyone who didn't register to vote And I've got an avalanche of hate Ramon, because if you don't vote, you, you won't get molested by government Oh wait, no, you will You will get molested even if you don't vote But I can complain because I didn't partake in the, in the, in the system yeah, I know that's your logic I, That's really on It's sound logic it's, Yeah, well, you know, either way, whatever happens Vote, don't vote, you're still paying taxes um, Or maybe not Or maybe not Yes, because three years ago we started a podcast And... Um, those of you who've been listening have heard us say things like, taxation is theft, and the taxpayers should revolt. And we've been saying that for about three years. Well, I think mostly me, to be honest. I was an anarchist way before you were even uh, you, a hopeless Ramon, conservative. Ramon doing the, Ramon, I'm not a hopeless conservative. Ramon doing the, uh, the um, uh, hipster version of anarchy. Uh, so Helen's it is tax revolt idea, obviously because it's someone with a lot of clout, seems to be taking off. I think it's phenomenal. She understands her base completely. The DA saying this is not feasible shows how they don't understand their base at all. Because, mm. uh, you know, DA members pay taxes and they get very few services in return. Uh, ANC members, or voters rather, pay few taxes and get a lot of things in return. So... She understands her base. She's got nothing to lose after the election. So I'm interested to see what she wants to do and run with mm, this I just idea. think it's interesting who people think that base is because uh, the journalists who claim to be <clears throat> so far on the left or they don't claim it, but they do show it, seem to think uh, people who pay tax are all white. Uh, and maybe they should just read some stats yeah. South Africa and see that actually the black middle class is larger than the white middle class. And the DA actually has a pretty good um, capture of the middle class. And that's who the base is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, apartheid ended 25 years ago. Black people have made money. They have entered into professions. They've had paid, sure. They do pay taxes. To assume that a tax revolt's about the white people is, uh, yeah, frankly, ridiculous. There's well, soft bigotry of low expectations. Well, once again, yes. So uh, getting on to all of this and, and some finance stuff, some economics, um, we have invited a guest into studio who's been asked for many times, so we're very grateful to have you here. Um, Ramon says I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly. Please would you say it for us? What, what is Magnus is the Latin pronunciation, Magnus Haystack. If my Afrikaans friends will call me Magnus. Yeah. My mother would call me Maggie, but uh, generally people talk to me as Magnus. All right, so um, Magnus is in studio. Uh, those of you who don't know Magnus, he's been involved in uh, business journalism for a very long time, first as a journalist, then as uh, an editor of a business section in, in The Star, uh, now running uh, uh, Brentworth – sorry, I'm going to mess this up. Brent, Brent, Brent Hurst Wealth. Brent yeah. Hurst Wealth, that's it. Uh, and often with lots of commentary on all the stuff that's going on in the economy um, – I mean, I grew up hearing you on the radio on, on places like 702. Uh, and I suppose a lot of exposure and a lot of time uh, spent 
looking at all of this stuff gives you quite the picture on what's happening right now. And, and it's always interesting to me how many people suddenly become economists every time there's uh, a rate change or every time the rand depreciates or every time uh, Cyril makes a deal with the Saudi Arabians. Um, but you've actually been involved in a lot of this stuff for a long time. So what's your perspective on where we are sort of as a macro um, idea. Thank you for that. It's actually longer than I thought. It's more than 30 years. I mean, I started ago with Johnny Burks, along Johnny Burks on 702. And uh, and uh, for my first interview, by the way, I arrived with a jacket and a tie. And he <laughs> looked at me and said, what the hell are you wearing? You're on radio. <laughs> anyway, so that was 30 years ago. And I have Johnny as well. And that's been quite a journey. journey. The point of making economic commentary is quite interesting. Anybody can call him or herself an economist. Yep. There's no professional qualification like a doctor or a lawyer or an attorney. I can call myself an economist. You can do it. Roman can call it. Anybody can call himself an economist. So the economists are the go-to uh, commentary. Whenever media wants a commentary on anything just about today, they go to the economist of the banks, of the institutions, the asset management companies, or anybody who wants to call themselves an economist. And they have an opinion, and opinions are cheap, and they come out very quickly. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of companies have used that to bold profile and saying, our economist says this, or our economist says that. But, yes, we're looking at 30 years later, and we're looking at issues today, and very similar to what they were in many respects to 30 or 20 years ago. It's all about money, economy, investments. Are they growing? Is it growing in the right direction? And uh, it's the same. We've changed our old players, but the uh, the underlying themes are still the same. It's almost like uh, totalitarians giving power to totalitarians doesn't change much in in the economic sense. It's weird. Same game, just the different players. The ball is still the same. You still have politicians feathering their own nests. I think the media has just been a bit more onto the ANC than they were uh, on, on the previous government, the apartheid regime. I think our media today is much freer than it was 30 years ago or 20 certainly. years ago. No, certainly so. But uh, let's talk a bit about these, these policies. So firstly, we are in – we're not in a technical recession, but, I mean, we've been growing at 0.1% for the past 10 years or who knows what. Uh, they, those are all other than – uh, 2008, 2009, but those are all policy decisions that have impacted the economy. It's not a great, you know, a coup by the CIA. It's not a third force. It's not the global economic meltdown. It is policy by the ANC that has caused this very anemic growth, which causes unemployment and things like that. If you had to name two or three policies and how they impact the economy, uh, the most. What would you say those are? It's not only the policies that the ANC have introduced, and we can spend some time on them. They have d wanted the economy to go into certain directions. Also, the, econ the economic policies that they've not taken. You might recall that 10, 12 years ago, uh, Tabo Mbeki uh, called in the experts from Harvard, Ricardo Hausman from Venezuela. He came here with a team of 20 international guys. They spent about eight months hmm. in South Africa, and they gave a big report to the government said, this is what you must do to turn this economy around. And they looked at that report and they chucked it into the waste bin. And that focused on things like get rid of regulations, free the small sector of the economy, 
cut taxes for small businesses or entrepreneurs. Get rid of the paperwork. We cannot have small guys filling in forms all day long, which comes from health to, to labor, to electricity, to taxes and to VAT. You just don't have time for that. So that is partly why we are in the situation that we are, are the policy decisions that were not taken. So the ANC is stuck to the old style, top down government will tell you what to do. We will create jobs. We will create a hundred black entrepreneurs or billionaire entrepreneurs. And it's simply not happening because they're not allowing the economy to, to grow on its own. All right. So, I mean, regulation is the one thing and we, we, instead of deregulating at any point, we keep overregulating. So there's new rules and laws that keep getting implemented in terms of taxation. <clears throat> anyone who's run a small business knows um, that every year it kind of gets more um, complicated uh, and um, more difficult to, to run a small business. Um, what are, what do you think some of the other areas of policy are that, that they've, they've really sort of messed up on? Just before I moved on, on that score yeah. in my business, where our business, uh, I asked my accountant stroke bookkeeper the other day, how many laws do we have to adhere to throughout the year? And he came back with 34 laws. And some of them are fairly draconian. We in the money business, the FICA and mm. POCA and mm. all that kind mm. of stuff. If we don't fill in certain uh, paperwork, I can go to jail for 10 years. I can be fined 10 million rand. When, whereas you can get, you can murder somebody, manslaughter, you out after five. I mean, it is bizarre. The, the the paperwork, even a company like yours, uh, it, the amount of the background, yeah. the paperwork you have to fill in just to stay in business. Yeah, well, it is, and and you know, many people who justify laws, people people, the average person on the street loves laws because they think that that what that's what keeps things um, from uh, devolving into Ramon's anarchy. I know it's not the same thing, but they think that, um, and in fact. Something like FICA, you know, the intention originally, they presented it and they're like, look, uh, bad people make money. They don't report the money. Then move the money all over banks and all over the world. And so we want to stop that. So we need you, the average person, to somehow get a bill delivered to your house, even though you, you don't get bills delivered to your house because, one, that's not how things are done anymore because there's now electronic emails and things like that. Um, and number two, uh, because uh, the postal service doesn't, doesn't work because that's just – failed. Uh, so we want you to do that. Then you need to go into the bank. Then you need to fight with someone in the bank because the document's more than 90 days old, perhaps, and so on and so forth. And this is going to stop global crime. Uh, and then we have a family called the Guptas who move billions of rands out of the country without anyone flinching. Uh, nobody's done anything about that. That technically is an international crime, not just a local crime. Uh, and nothing happens. So we've got the same thing happening with our politicians. Uh, we've got money changing hands, probably that nuclear deal with the Russian stuff. There was a whole bunch of stuff that happened there. We had Fakile and Balula on private jets overseas. No one ever questioned how that happened and the money that changed hands there. The, the, the real problem is, is a lot of these laws only interfere with the end consumer, make their lives more difficult, make it difficult to run business, make it difficult to service customers, and actually do nothing to stop the supposed crime uh, that, they're, that they're trying to target. I think you're correct in the sense that 98 or 99% of the population must fill in the forms. 
it's the one percenters yep. in a different context. Yep. They get off scot-free, the Guptas and the Zumas and the whoever's connected. And I'm with, I think we've been seeing that now with the testimony of Agrisi, that if you're connected, the NPI will protect you and the and, and everybody. You will be protected if you're in that inner circle. And it's against that background, I think, if you want to talk about this tax revolt. The ordinary people are saying, we are subject to these laws. We stick to them. We do the paperwork. But there's a select group of people who are exempt from this or apparently exempt. This is now time for it to stop. And I think what Helen Zillow is trying to say, unless there's fairly quick and drastic movement against these players very soon, the only thing that we've got left is some kind of a tax revolt. She didn't say not pay taxes, but we can withhold our taxes and interrupt the cash flow of government, for instance. Wait until the last second to pay your taxes. Government relies on honest taxpayers to pay their money on an ongoing basis. They, 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 they budget accordingly. They know people will pay their taxes and they spend accordingly. But what if we're all as legal and just hold it back for a week? Nobody pays taxes. Just holds back. I'm talking about VAT, PAYE, unemployment, and just don't pay tax. I'm not saying break the law, but within the law, put pressure on government to saying something must happen now. That for too long, guys have got off with vast amounts of money. We're talking billions through the banking system. I asked myself when I moved some money the other day via a bank, not a lot of money. When I sold my Ferrari, I immediately got a phone call. My bank account was frozen, and I had to fill in numerous uh, forms. Where did that money come from? It was not a large amount of money in the greater scheme of things. The Gupta seemingly and other companies can move money at will in the billions through the banking system. So the banking system is also complicit. She is saying something must now be done. Yeah, and, and we agree with her. But I think, to just to go back a bit to the regulations, I, I think the intention and what they say it's about is not actually what it's about. The the, in, the intention of FICA is about control. Yes, I know. It's for I, was them, gonna, I was just going to say it's it, control. It's for them to understand that if you do what they do, they'll take you out. Yes. But because they have the oversight. Absolutely. There's no oversight against them when they, you know, don't do what they, the law says. Right? I mean, Zuma gets paid a salary from a security company and Bosasa, 1.3 million a month for who knows how many years, while president, while president, and no one knows or no one says a thing. It's First of all, it's illegal. As a president, you're not allowed to take a, a second salary. And on, on, the, on the payroll um, of, of those companies that are paying him, no one says a thing. Who's this weird employee that doesn't exist? It's very similar to the piece you wrote about the Northwest where there's 19,000 ghost employees. Ghost employees. They just don't yeah. exist. Yeah. It costs 19 billion rand salaries, but they don't exist. When there's no oversight and you, and you still stick to the regulation, the problem is on you. You're a moron for yeah. sticking to the regulation. And the asymmetry, sorry to, to carry on, the asymmetry is that the government is using your money to oppress you. The biggest form of control, the most effective form of control is the control of money through the banking system. That's why it's done. And as I was saying, 99% of people really are captured in this net. Mm. Not much you can do. Well, they close down your banking account tomorrow. Yeah, uh, you're done. You're done. Yeah. You cannot survive for three days. You are out of cash. You can't lay claim to your assets. So you're quite right, Roman. It's, it is absolute control. Keep the population under control. Well, just at a tangent, we see this in the podcasting and, and alternative media space. What's now happened is uh, f- uh, individuals who 
uh, do things that the funding companies don't agree with. So recently, uh, there's a podcast uh, YouTuber called Sargon of Akkad. Uh, his real name is Carl Benjamin, and he 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 appeared on someone else's show, and he was making a point about how white nationalists are exactly the thing they claim black people are. Um, and so he wasn't denigrating black people. He was denigrating white nationalists by reversing their logic on them. Um, and he used a racial slur to do that. Um, and uh, the platform he was hosted on uh, for his fundraising uh, actually took him down. And on further investigation, it appears as if MasterCard is actually stepping into individual cases because someone at the uh, in the upper echelons of MasterCard is basically a social justice um, activist, and they've decided that they're not going to allow their company to be used by certain people who commit thought crimes they don't agree with. And so uh, once they've done that, there's no way for you to access funding. And once you can't access funding, you can't kind of do what you do. And, and then they, they kill your, 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 your freedom of access to the Internet, your freedom of speech in a way, um, because you just you cannot produce in any way and you cannot raise funds. Uh, and so that's quite worrying. And that's a, on a, on obviously at a different level, but it's exactly the point you're making. You, you restrict access to banking and to money and you restrict access to almost everything. Quite correct. Yes. All right. So. Let's get on to the tax revolt because we started, we got a little bit there and, and you were mentioning about doing it within the law. Um, that's fine. I, I mean, I, I think you can withhold for a week at a time, but my experience of government is they don't really care about the service delivery. Um, they, it's, it's what they say at election time. Uh, you hear a lot about it in between elections that you don't hear much about it. Uh, the only time you hear service deliveries when people are protesting it. Uh, they don't really care of, about delivering. It's kind of like they promise you a hundred kilometers of road and you get, you know, a kilometer and then you must be happy with that. And that applies to every service. Um, so the, the, the whole, um, sort of a notion that they would care about maybe us withholding a week. They might, but I think they would adjust. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, they go, all right, it's not going to come in for a week. This department will collapse. These hospitals won't be able to function. Electricity will go down. But I don't think they care about that. They've uh, got private health care. They've got generators. They've got all of that. Uh, what about a system of a proper revolt? Because the truth is you can't lock up. There's 400,000 taxpayers who are paying – Probably the majority of the tax. I mean, it's it's somewhere between four and six million well, income tax. It's somewhere between four and six million who fund the major bulk of the tax. About four hundred to six hundred thousand of those are funding the the greatest number. You know, it's this whole argument about the one percent. That's the one percent in yeah. the Bernie Sanders example. Actually, if you look at most um, tax. Uh, taxation around the world, the people who are paying the most tax, in other words, not only the most in terms of the money, but in terms of funding the entire budget, are the 1%. So you hate on them, but they're funding most of it. Same in South Africa. Um, what if those people turn around and say, look, we're not, we're not paying the tax. We're not paying the tax anymore. Uh, maybe they, they get to a lawyer and they go, we'll put it in a trust account. No problem. So it's not, we don't have it in our bank account. We're not going to use it. Uh, but we're not paying it to you. Now, that's illegal, but you can't lock up hundreds of thousands of people. There are lots of things that were illegal done in protest in, in, in apartheid. You can't lock up hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, and if they, if they Steve Biko, Helen Zilla, good luck to them. 
because <laughs> I don't think they're ready to deal with, what the, with the results of that. What are your thoughts on something like that? You're right. I mean, uh, it'll be a very brave individual who has sufficient assets locked, uh, st- stashed away somewhere else who will take on the government on this issue one-on-one, saying, I pu- publicly, I'm not paying my taxes, come and get me kind of stuff. It would be very crazy. Government will pounce on you and make an example of you to stop this in the bud. However, what people will do, as I suggested, maybe holding back as a form of protest until the last second, five minutes to 12 on, on, on for instance, uh, UIF day or, or especially VAT day. You just yeah. hold back. Most companies, your company, our company, as VAT comes here, we pay it because it's something that you need to pay and you get into that mode. Yeah. And it's annoying to have uh, arguments with SARS and, and penalties as well, yeah. which are quite draconian, but yes. So, but this is like just a practice to say that we are, we are, we've simply had enough, you know, withholding tax for a while is one way. Shall we go into a tax revolt? That'll be difficult. But does government want to go that way? Are they going to be that insensitive and turn around? But they do realize they have a problem because government has statistics available to them to see the other form of tax revolt, which is money flowing out of the country people creating nest eggs in other parts of the world. Mm. And then, of course, immigration is your ultimate form of tax revolt. A lot of people and a lot of in our practice are saying, I'm out of here. And yes, the normal stuff is crime mismanagement, but they also say taxes is a factor. If you do the numbers, for instance, on uh, future income tax for the next 20 or 30 years at 45% versus 15% in Mauritius, it's a substantial number. Hmm. State duty at 35% in SA and zero in Mauritius. It's a big number. You start doing the numbers. You're saying immigration is a form of tax revolt. Not that I don't love my country, but I am being taxed to death. I still have to pay school fees and medical aids and private security because I'm not being protected. So that's happening, unfortunately, at the moment. Hmm. It's affecting the property market. State agents will tell you. 50 to 60% of sales coming onto the market are as a result of immigration again. So we're having a wave of immigration. People are saying, we are getting out, we want our capital out, and we want to sell our properties. But the government won't allow you just to take your capital out there. You can. If you're smart and within the laws, they are still here. You can move a lot of capital over a period of time, depending on how wealthy you are. The big, big numbers, the Rothschilds, the Ruperts, the Oppenheimers, the the Gordons, they've moved their money out all of it long time ago. It's an old topic that I've been talking and writing about for 30 years. Mm. Again, the one percenters have got their money out very mm. legally mm. with the permission of government, with the Reserve Bank permission. In fact, it's my suspicion that people like the Ruperts actually went to government 50 years ago and said, listen, either you allow us to take the money out or we go and set up our companies offshore. And I I think the same applies with a lot of people. How is it possible that, for instance, the the Rupert sitting with uh, their value in Richemont, for instance, is $10, $15 billion? It's money that's out of the country. You and I are subject to the rules. We, until recently, could only take smaller amounts. Now it's a bit bigger. But the big amounts are gone. That's, that's, That's for sure. Yeah, but I mean, even the, even the fact that I need to ask permission to move my shit out of the country is ludicrous. It is, of course. <laughs> it is try absolutely and, Try and buy some foreign currency to, to, just to buy a cup of coffee when you land at London. Just go and the amount of paperwork. Coming back to your point, mm. uh, Jonathan, on, on, on FICA. You have to have FICA up to date to buy, to buy $500. It, it, it's, when you speak to people in the rest of the world, they say, we don't believe you, first of mm. all. Mm. And you say, yes, it's the truth, but it's insane.
Yeah. The same with the home affairs regulations. You talk to people who are global citizens, they say it's just, it's just unthinkable that you guys are still surviving. But we do. But mm. we have to stand in the queue and some friendly official serves you. But where's your paperwork? <laughs> go. Go back and bring it back tomorrow. Yeah, kind where's of stuff. your birth certificates? So if I just if I sure. just – I don't talk about the, the, the asymmetry once again whereby you, you fund government that oppresses you at the end of this. Um, we, we've seen that the ANC has taken a drastic left turn. Uh, I think Cyril will, will take it – Left and keep it left at the stage. Uh, with the with the NHI going forward, the expropriation, the um, and a few other things as well. It's almost, I think, it's 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 a it's a patriotic duty not to fund this sort of nonsense. If if the Venezuelans didn't fund, okay, they have oil, so it's, the resource curse comes into play. But if you if you don't fund the government, they can't actually implement things that will completely destroy the government, uh, completely destroy the country and the people within it. At the end of the day, hopefully, hopefully, uh, Cyril and and the, and the new team will will recognise it. But I have to agree with you. I think that after expropriation without compensation of land, which is totally, if you actually can sit down and read how it started and what was said and what was not said, and trying to trying to make any bit of sense as to policy, you, you understood one thing. The ANC has no idea how to do this. No. It's a statement that they made, which is popular amongst a small group of people. And now they said, shit, how do we, well, why are we going to do this? And the more you go into it, the World Bank has warned, the Wall Street Journal has warned, the Economist has warned, economists from all over the world have warned, don't do it. You're going to stuff up this country. Even the commies at the EU said it's a bad idea. The commies at the EU it, who stuffed up in, all the countries. In, in fairness, in complete fairness, the ANC doesn't know how to do anything they're tasked oh, with. So um, They can't collect taxes it, it, very well. Um, well, it's, it's weird when SARS is world-class, but everything else is, is Venezuelan. SARS is not as world-class anymore as it used to be. But Hallelujah. Thank you, Tom Moyane, best commissioner <laughs> ever. I salute you. Um, but, but, you know, they're, they're a government, and they're a particularly poor government at that. So they're not even the, you know, the Zilla-capable state. Um, so they're not good at anything. They don't do health particularly well. They don't do transport well. They don't do electricity and 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 resource generation well. Uh, none of the stuff they don't do well. So I'm not surprised they don't do land distribution. And in fact, they had an entire land distribution department. Uh, you know, in terms of not not uh, expropriating without compensation, but in terms of looking at land claims and 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 responding to those. And they did in the millions uh, respond to land claims. Uh, that that is a that's that, that, probably an underreported fact. Um, before I, I'm interested in what Ramon's getting onto, but in terms of the tax revolt, you're talking about withholding, so that would be businesses, um, people who who pay. I think one of the main issues is many people earn PAYE. Uh, so, in other words, you get a you get a payslip at the end of the month. By the time you see the money in your bank account, your tax has been paid. There's nothing you can do about that. So it would require your company basically to say, all right, well, we're not going to pay tax. Um, as we've seen with e-tolls, for example, large companies don't buy into that. So the uh, car rental agencies all went and got the the um, e-toll discs um, or sensors. Uh, so did large sort of transport companies, for example. They, they just bought into it. Um, what on the small level of stuff you can't track? So, I mean, eTolls is one example that's being used as a tax revolt that's already happened. Um, electricity in Soweto, the the residents there who've refused to pay for a lot of electricity, um, previous debt, and who also, when prepaid meters were going to be installed, uh, revolted against that. 
that's being used as an example. Uh, seen some other people making statements about, well, try pay everything in cash and, you know, businesses don't report the cash. Individuals don't report. Nobody reports the cash. Just, just basically move to a cash, a cash economy. Um, I, I, you think those things might be more crippling actually because the reality is big business won't buy in. Those things have been happening for a long time. I mean, our, our so-called black economy or underground economy is massive. It's about 25% by estimate mm. of the of the formal economy. So that's been happening for a very long time. In certain sectors of our community, uh, top to bottom, people do stuff cash. You know, you have a plumber coming around. He says, if you pay me this plus that, that's your price. But if you pay me in cash, it's it's minus 20%. If you've got the cash, you give him the cash because he disappears. You can't claim that unless you run a business. So there are a lot of deals taking place already. There's a bit of bartering taking place, but it's not a big number. The big numbers are with that company and, and then the, the, and the big individuals. I also think another form of, of, of uh, protest is, in, and it alludes to the comment that uh, John Rupert made with his uh, disastrous speech on on, on TV, I think it was with Power FM or one yeah. of the TV stations. He made the point, he says that he gets a phone call or a letter from the head of the tax revenue in Switzerland every year to saying, thank you very much, you know, so nice doing business for you. To turn that around, I think the top taxpayers should, with their submissions, they should write a strongly worded letter and, and, and perhaps get it published somewhere, but write to the SARS head and to the president of this country saying, I'm paying this under duress. I don't like paying it. I'm not getting services. It's just another thing to just to irritate the government. Let them know how unhappy you are about paying the taxes that you are paying. Yeah, I, the, my only concern with with something like that is just how it's framed. Uh, you, already the uh, people who oppose this idea of a tax revolt, and and quite remarkably, many people who live on the Atlantic seaboard in Cape Town and in the end of January are holidaying still, uh, haven't returned to work yet, Pierre de Force. Um, but but. Um, <laughs> You know, the, the, the irony is that the accusation coming from those individuals is, oh, well, it's, you know, wealthy people who just don't want to pay their tax. Um, and they, they are unable somehow, they can make the connection to the poor when they want to make their own point, but they can't make the connection to the money being paid for every rand that's paid probably between 80 and 90 cents of every rand being squandered before it ever gets to a poor person. Um and the reality is, is that I would imagine those wealthy people, some of whom are actually quite politically on the left, uh, are more than happy actually to pay their tax. They don't necessarily, they, they find ways and means to make it a bit less and losses in companies and all the rest. But a lot of them, I think, would, you would find would say, I made a billion this year. I paid sort of 20 million in tax after I fiddled a bit. It's fine. You know, poor people need the 20 million. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I just, I just think the 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 way things are framed is very important in terms of people understanding that those people who are happy to pay tax, I don't know how what percentage that is, but a lot of them view taxation as a net positive to poor people, and there simply is no net positive in South Africa. It's very, very minor. Even if you're arguing for social grants, those social grants are minimal. They don't help people yeah. that much. You know, you're right. There's been over the last couple of years, there's been a definite swing away, a change in the tax morality of the average South African. If I can just take our company as an example, mm. up to say five, six years ago, 
most people that we spoke with said, look, I don't mind paying taxes. It's part of the restitution. I don't mind. Don't, 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 don't come with funny tax avoiding schemes. I'm not interested. I, I, I'm concerned about my reputation and the law, etc. Last two to three years, every second question is, how can I evade taxes? I, and I'm prepared to take chances. It has changed fairly dramatically. We also have, and if you take it on a, glo- a bigger scale, we have, you know, the Laffer curve, the so-called Laffer curve. Uh-huh. Please even, explain that. Even Arthur Laffer, who is a well-known economist, he was a consulting economist to Ronald Reagan, where he's saying the taxes, if you tax people at zero, they don't pay zero. Uh, the, the, the tax distribution curve is from zero to 100. If yes. you tax people at zero, you get no income. If you tax people at 100, you also get no income. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's kind of this um, bell shape. The bell shape. So somewhere on the top of the bell, between 40 and 55 on, on, on world companies, that's the optimum ratio of taxes. If you tax a country, you get your optimum return. And he's warned, he's actually written a letter to, to the government saying, you are past that curve, your tax efficiency is now starting to decline, which has been proven by other statistics. The more you're going to tax us now, the less taxes are you going to, going to get. And that's a downward spiral, which is not good. So let's look, assume there's a tax revolt, assume the government has uh, no money to, to pay for anything. The, the, the repercussions of that, I, I, I don't see many because if you want to help poor people, you just take the money that you're supposed to pay to SARS and give it to the poor people, give it to charities that help poor people, right? Um, so, so, Assuming, assuming the government can't pay, um, social grants, and, and they were very fine to, to fiddle with those for a number of years under Butterbean, Laminia, whatever her name is. Um, they were very fine to, to fiddle with that because that's, that is a core coalition, a core, uh, support base for the ANC. Yes. The social grants. I don't care what everyone says. If that's racist, it's true though. Social, social grant beneficiaries vote for the ANC, and when they don't, the ANC says, if someone else wins, they're not going to pay. There we go. It's a threat. All the time. All the time. So the biggest risk to the ANC, I think, is actually not paying the social grants. And if we do avoid tax well and they can't pay the social grants, there will be a real revolt, a real Well, that's the theory. Um, And why is that a bad thing? Well, I'm just concerned about the that that as also a bit of a soft bigotry of low expectations in terms of – you know, poor people just can't wait to get their 1200 rand every month. And if they don't get their 1200 rand, they're going to come with torches and, and guns and whatever else. Um, and try and, 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 and the idea here is not that they'll go after the government. The idea is they'll, they'll come to your and my house because we're not paying the tax and they'll, they'll revolt against us. And I, I don't really buy that. I, 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 I don't, I, I think that's a very, um, Poor view of um, the average poor person, the way people generally think, um, the fact that they can't do the maths and compute um, w- where the actual problem is in terms of in terms of government versus taxpayer. So, so, but I do think that there may be a voting revolt. I think that would be a fair a fair. That's what I was referring to. Yeah, so I'm talking about just the social ground beneficiaries being the the support base for the ANC. I'm not saying they're going to burn down towns. Yeah. They're just going to say, well, there's no use in supporting the ANC anymore because they're just not they're just not giving us I the grants. I disagree with you, gentlemen. I, I travel the countryside quite a lot because, A, because I like it and I, I see clients on the plot line to me. Yeah. And I've seen over the last couple of years these small towns busy dying and, and, mm. uh, and the center of town is absolutely devastated. There's just no commercial activity except on Social Grande, 
and then the town is packed with people. Now, could you imagine if those ten or 20,000 people who are coming to town to do their shopping for the week or the month don't have money in their bank account? Do not underestimate the ability of a riot to take place. And just someone to start burning something. We've seen mm. examples yeah. in Kalini and we've seen it in Friedendahl and, and smaller towns. So I think the smaller towns are particularly vulnerable where there could be a suddenly a mass hysteria, kind of an outbreak of social unrest when they start burning stuff and it just it just escalates as these things tend to but, do. But, but Magnus, is that not where we end up anyway? So, we, so we, the, the, the yeah. idea that the people, those people, I think, may very well start burning stuff, and it would be government stuff, or it would be riots in the street. I'm not thinking they're going after specific taxpayers. They're not going to rock up at Rupert's farm and and try no, and, and no, or my house or whatever. Far away. Or, but, but so, but the thing is, is it doesn't matter because what people are failing to realize, you know, it's the it's the Maggie Thatcher quote, which everyone now knows quite well the problem with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money and so we either get a tax revolt in this country one of two ways either eventually all the taxpayers leave all right and the rest of industry collapses so the people who haven't left don't earn anything anymore um, or people tax revolt by not paying their taxes one of those two things is going to happen um in the, at the same time, the other thing that's going to happen is the country is going to become bankrupt. I, I think that that is, seems to be very obvious. I want to talk about RAs and things with you just now, but, but the reality is, is that money is being stolen from every place where money exists. At some point, we're going to get to a stage where no money exists any longer. Then we're going to go to the World Bank with our tails between our legs. Um, they're going to, and the IMF, and they're going to say to us, you can have this if you do the following things, just like Zimbabwe did. They're going to lie and say, we'll do those things. Then they're not going to do those things. And this will happen two or three times until eventually the World Bank says no. And the U.S. goes sanctions and all the other – the EU goes sanctions. We we go down that spiral. Many countries who've been down this route, and it, it always ends up the same way. At that point, the country has no money left. There's no money to borrow. No one's lending you anything. And at that point – and who knows when that is for South Africa. Probably could happen within 10 years. Um at that point, you don't pay social grants anyway, and you get the riots in the street. And at some point, you're going to have pictures like we've had in Venezuela in the last two weeks with millions of people as far as the eye can see in the streets. And that that is coming for us whether we like it or not unless we make a massive change in the way we do things. I, under, I agree 100%. In fact, I'm currently working on a book, and it's called How to Survive the Collapse of South Africa. And then in brackets, unless we change course now. Mm. And, and, you know, I become very grumpy at home. My dogs don't <laughs> like me. My wife goes shopping a lot and the kids sleep over at weekends. Cause I kind of test myself and I look at the statistics and I look at the numbers and I look at the trends. First of all, don't go to the, the official or the, uh, the, yeah, the official, uh, economists and of the banks and the asset management companies. They all paid for spokespeople. They will not paint the correct picture. They're only about a handful of truly independent economists. You know, Mike Sischler and Darby Ruet and, and, and a couple of guys are actually saying it's far worse than you think. The banks will try and tell you everything's fine. Go ahead and buy a property. Put yourself in debt. Buy a car. Here's more credit. You're going to pay that price the way we are going right now. So, yeah, to come back to you, I agree with you, unless we start doing things drastically. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a five to ten year timeline. And unfortunately, I haven't seen Sir Ramaphosa do anything that has made made a big difference up to this point in time. But all we need is walls and drone armies and we'll be fine, to be honest. Yeah, sure, sure. 
Now, jokes aside, I, you know, it's, it's greatly worrying how things have deteriorated in the last 10, 10 years from, from 2008. Yeah. Our employment has rocketed. The rest of the world has managed to get it down. Even countries like Greece, uh, they're far worse. They're close to bankruptcy. They're actually recovering. We're just doing the wrong stuff because I think the ANC for the last 10 to 15 years have just been on this massive, massive looting spree to steal money wherever they can get the money. They're connected, the insiders, the cadres, the cater deployment. Cater deployment has actually become a, a, a code word for you the next guy to be going to make rich. Yeah, we we'll give you the deals. We give you the jobs. Just support us. And we've seen this now with the Bosasa deals. So one last point on one. If you look at what's happening to uh, in a country like Japan, we have a guy called Carlos Ghosn, the head of one of their biggest companies. He's arrested, and then they investigate him. Not in South Africa, where uh, you know you get investigated for ten to fifteen years. You can hide all the evidence. Um, there's something seriously wrong with our legal system, with our legal criminal system, where, you know, you presume to be innocent, but there is overwhelming evidence from the Zonda Commission, from the State Capture Commission, from so many, the Guptas and, 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 and now the Zonda Commission, PIC, but everybody is walking free and they've got a, they've got this, this gang of lawyers, highly paid lawyers protecting them and the money's disappearing, the evidence is disappearing and who has been prosecuted? Of name in the last 10 to 15 years. Well, who's ended up in prison? All I know. Tony Young, put out Tony Young again. He got the short end of the story. They would say Tony Young again, but John Block actually is in prison for 15 years. Right now, because he really, it was, he was so crude in his, his attempts. He just just couldn't hide all the evidence. He didn't do it in time. One person. Yes. Out of this orgy of, of theft and is in jail. But, uh, I understand the looting part quite uh, quite well. What do you make of something like the National Democratic Revolution? Do you think it's a thing? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Oh, thank goodness. I was, I was worried we were going to fight. Because cause that's the thing, right? So the NDR creates the burdensome regulations that creates the looting. That's the thing. The FICA, the BE nonsense, the, the retaining of the SOEs on the balance sheet, the retaining of SAA, all those – are part of the National Democratic Revolution. The government must control all these things yep. for the good of the people. Absolutely. And that leads to the looting. The problem, the looting is just a consequence of the ideology. But no one talks about the ideology. They look at the consequences. That's where it starts. They look at the dead body. Absolutely. And they don't look at who with, shot it. Well, the NDR has been the, they've, they've said that. When I talk to a lot of people or clients who are perhaps a little bit cynical of my views, I said, have you ever read the Freedom Charter? Have you ever read the policy documents of the ANC? And they say, no. Why must I read it? I said, that's where it is. Land. It's been said for 10 to 15 years. Land. Is going to be expropriated. Now everybody's up. You know, a it's not going to happen, and b where did this come from? Mm. The next, the the pension funds. Yep. It is the biggest pot of money available left in South Africa. The about, according to certain estimates, eight trillion rand. The fourth or fifth largest uh, single. It's eighth largest in the world. Oh, is it eight now? Yes. Okay. So there's an amount of money sitting there, and I've been saying this for many, many years. If I was in government, that's where I'll go and steal it because it's the easiest to steal. Because it's unused money. There we go. And it's controlled by about 20 to 30 companies. Mm. And they're all subject to my tax laws, my very my very generous tax incentives. So I'm saying to these guys, I'm going to make some laws that are going to extract some of your money. And uh, if you squeal a single word 
I'll cut you off on those tax incentives. So everybody hasn't said a word of this possibility of prescribed assets. Nobody, not the Salams, not the mutuals. The only one who's come up and said something was Makhta Virzaga from Signia was saying it's a dreadful idea. But our mutual over the weekend say, that's a fantastic idea. It's great for the economy. It's on MoneyWeb. Go and read mm. it. But these are the same assholes that say, oh, the growth will be 5% in three years, and it's 2007. And they say, oh, we, we've adjusted our, we adjusted it to 2.7%. Some sucks. And then it becomes fucking 0.3. And then how but, are you supposed to ever listen to these people with any, they, they, they just, Parasitic bureaucrats. Well, they not only no, that, some sucks and sells no bitches. no skin in the game whatsoever. They are not to be trusted whatsoever. The last 10 years, I've, I've taken the budget uh, review where the minister gets up in budget, in budget time and gets up and says, this year the economy is going to grow at 2.7%. I've taken that for 10 years, and I've compared that to what actually happened. Mm-hmm. All the predictions were wrong, and they were all wrong on the upside. In other words, way too optimistic. They're always about half of what they say. In the budget, and so it's absolutely BS when they get up and say, "Oh, the economy is recovering, and it's going to grow at X percent." It's nice airtime and the front page. That's economic homeopathy. What, what irritates me about the NDR and the way people interpret it or don't interpret it, firstly, is that some people don't even know it exists. So, uh, you know, we we had uh, Wayne Duvenacher on the show, lovely gent, uh, and and you know runs Arta, and Arta does some good work. But we talked to him about the NDR, and he's kind of like either ambivalent or not too aware of it, right? If you want to see how how stoked the NDR gets our parliamentarians, go look at um, at the the hearings on on land expropriation when they were accused that this is part of the NDR. They not only agreed, but they got fired up about it. They will tell you honestly that's what this is about. And what upsets me is when. Uh, the media and, and, and commentators report or react to things or just even citizens react to what's happening in government or the ANC, which is the same thing that they, they turn around and they say, Oh, you know, the corruption and the incompetence. If you go out with the intention of hijacking an aircraft, you successfully hijack the aircraft midair and you point the nose towards the ground. And as the altitude drops, people say, this incompetence, this is, this is unacceptable. This, that's not incompetence. You have achieved your goal. If your goal was to hijack and crash that aircraft, you are achieving your goal as you drop through the altitude. And when you hit the ground, you will have succeeded. You will have reached your final destination yep. of your goal. Yep. There is no incompetence of the ANC. They are very competent at what they're doing. Yes, we've discussed this on the show. They could be even more competent, and thank God they aren't. Because if they were even more competent, we'd be in an even worse position. So I think the stealing does make their competence a little bit less. And the fact that they don't have control over all the people, it's not quite like Russia with the KGB, and they don't just execute people who get in their way, although Didi Mabuza seems to be allegedly okay with that. Um, but But – this is the thing. It's not incompetence and it's not even necessarily corruption. It is corruption in the sense of the definition of the word, but you cannot have a system that they outline in the National Democratic Revolution without corruption. These systems exist only with corruption as part of the way they function. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a method of doing things. And so I, I, I get I get quite concerned about people not understanding that difference. Yeah, it's not a mistake or a bug. It's a feature. There's a very good article that appeared on Daily Maverick last week uh, written by Professor Mark Swilling 
from the University of Stellenbosch, and he's talking exactly on this point. And he, he starts the the column, if I can remember correctly, says the average person is extremely naive when it comes to his or her dealings with government and big corporates. And then he goes on to say, state captures hasn't gone away. He talks about the NDR, and I, and I recommend that everybody reads this article. If you guys don't have it, I'll send it to you because he's saying it's not over. It's just they're just hiding yeah. Yeah. to let these commissions disappear. It is still in force. Don't, and he says, don't trust government and don't trust big corporates. Exactly. When Maria Ramos from Absa says, ah, things are fantastic, everything's looking great, like she does this morning, I need to remind her of Colin Coleman who a year ago said, South Africa is my top tip for emerging markets this year. Economy 4%, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. I wonder why these guys say it, because the reality is so different. Well, Colin Coleman is an anti-acolyte. Well, he was in the head of Goldman one percenters. Head of Goldman Sachs now was with the ANC in the eighties, and his big bro Cyril is the president. Of course, he would say, oh, "This is great." Good PR. Sunday Times did a full splash on his. Why didn't they go back to him a year later? Say, Colin, South Africa's returns last year on global markets was minus twenty-five percent. Growth was one comma six percent technically in a recession. Yeah. Well, let's get to that point. Technical recession. It is in a recession. The economy is like playing with words. It's yeah. a recession. But for ten years now, the private sector yes, at least. It is the private sector. I went to a very large shopping centre on, on Saturday evening. I don't go out a lot, as I told you, but someone made a mistake and invited me to dinner. <laughs> and I walked around the shopping centre Saturday night, day after payday. It was empty. Every second shop was having a sale. There were a couple of empty shops, and there was just nobody in the shop. Now, don't tell me that's not a recession. Anyway, let's not get yeah. worked up. About and, it. But even in terms of, of uh, earnings and things like that, <clears throat> it's been a steady curve down. I, I read one of your pieces this morning in research. You said we're earning 25% less than we were 15 years ago? Your property today on average is worth less than it was 10 years ago. If you can sell it, that's another topic for you guys to investigate. The property market has come to a standstill. The, yeah. uh, and the number of trades will tell you that's not the price only, it's also the number of trades. Your investment returns on your retirement funds, pension funds, the last five years have not beaten inflation. And then thirdly, your salary has not beaten the inflation rate for about five to six years. That's why most of us are so broke, we cannot pay attention. We can't, we don't realize what's hitting us. Mm. You see it in th- small little things like, Attendance numbers at Alice Park or Loftus on a big rugby game. There's nobody in the stadium. Why? People haven't got money. Because to take a family of four, four tickets, rugby, uh, you know, souvenirs, a bit of food, watch a bit the of box. drinks. You're looking three, at five thousand rand. Five. Family it's like nine hundred bucks a ticket. Don't have that kind of money. My priorities are my kids at school and filling up my my car to get to work. So this is national. So we, as a country, we slowly, surely. Yeah, running broke. I mean, the other a concern there is uh, that statistic about, and I can't remember the exact number, but the, the the fact that we've all become, in absolute terms, poorer over the past ten Very years. Very much so. So even if you're wealthy, you yes. know, even if yeah. you live in a in a upmarket suburb, drive <laughs> you know luxury cars, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and live a, a really nice lifestyle, uh, relatively you've become poorer in a, in a global sense, and that's a, that's also a significant worry. If you pri- if you pri- price ourselves in dollar terms. We have become substantially poorer. I did a study uh, for my research. Ten years ago, if the average house price in South Africa converted to dollars, then I looked at the average house price in America. 
10 years ago, you could buy 80% of the average house in America, which was not too bad. I did the number, the same number again using the exchange rate, current prices versus the American prices. You can now buy 28% of the same house. That's what I'm talking wow. about, relative poor, uh, poverty. We don't realize it because we don't see it every day. We just, but, but over a 10-year period, you can only buy a third mm. of a house as opposed to – well, not even a third uh, as, as opposed to 80%. Well, and, and, and I'm not even talking about Australia and New Zealand and those places. It's the same. We're just getting extremely poor. And we might not, we we might not see that uh, people in the middle class may may not may not see that because uh, you cut down on certain things you go out a little bit less often and you eat uh, less extravagantly uh, you know meat twice a week instead of three times a week or whatever it happens to be um, but the poor really get hit by that I, I was looking at some data with regards to poverty in the world and a, as we know poverty since the 70s global poverty has sort of nosedived Correct. Um, you know the world is getting uh, better in fact Oxfam had to move their criteria and they actually had, had to change it so Oxfam has for years been every year they release a report they do the same thing every year it's kind of like one of those get this um, gold encrusted burger thing you know they, they do a, a PR thing and every year their version is is um, rich people earn this much money and the, the, they either do the top 100 rich people or the top 500 or whatever they do. And basically it's to demonize the, the wealthy and, and then you must feel sorry for the poor and to feel sorry for the poor, you must give the rich people at Oxfam, literally, um, money. Yeah, donate more. Uh, uh, yeah, to, to the rich people at Oxfam. Yes. Go look at the books of Oxfam and how much the people who head up Oxfam earn. But anyway, that's what they do. And they do this every year and the media loves it because the media loves these kinds of stories. Because they're idiots. Yes. And <laughs> sure. Anyway, so they love these kind of, and because they're ideological and they run with it. And I noticed that this year, and I'm not sure how long they've been doing this, but they used to say this is the number of people who have to live under a dollar a day. That was the uh, criteria of absolute or extreme poverty. They've changed that to $5 a day because there actually aren't that many people in the world living under $1 a day. Um, and so the world is getting infinitely better on average uh, for almost everyone except for sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. Sub-Saharan Africa is going in completely the opposite direction on those metrics. Uh, and that is that is ridiculously worrying. Well, you look at those metrics, then you look at the economic freedom index. Who's in the bottom? Who's in the bottom twenty countries? Oh, Mozambique. Oh, Zimbabwe. South Africa is not quite in the top. Mine, in the, but we're going in that direction. We're going in that direction. We're going in that direction. Top most economically free country in the world: Singapore and Denmark or Norway. One of those. The top three. The, mm. the great socialist utopias of the yeah, world. Yeah, with 15% yeah. tax rates on, on corporates, I might yeah. add. And in, and, and in Africa, it's, of course, Mauritius. 20 Indeed. years ago, Mauritius was number 10 or 20. South Africa was much higher than them. By doing the right things and consistently doing the right things, Mauritius is now the freest country economically and, and politically speaking. And money is pouring into Mauritius. The South Africans are what, do you, what do you make of Mauritius? Because I've, I've heard one of the criticisms is, look, Mauritius, because it's an island, relatively small island and and it doesn't have any natural resource. It has no commodity to produce. So everything's got to be brought in, right? Uh, their, their major main commodity is tourism, uh, travel. And textiles. Um, so so uh, what, do you think uh, it's, it's still got huge potential as a country? Well, you, you, talk, you spoke about Singapore just now. The biggest oil producer in the world is Singapore. Did you know that? Because they built refineries. They've got all the refineries. 
They don't have oil. They imported refiner in the Senate out again. So using that model, yes, Mauritius is a tiny place and it's very small. You can't hide away from your ex-wife because you're going to bump into it. <laughs> but they've got a bit of, of course, they have sugarcane, which was predominantly what yeah. drove them. But they've very smartly recognized that the days of sugarcane is over yeah. and the subsidies from the European Union is over. They, 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 they went into textiles, tourism, construction, and financial services. Exactly. Massive way. And, and, and extremely free um, transactions. That what I heard, though, about Mauritius, for those who might be willing to invest, I don't know if this is true, though. They are quite dependent on South Africans and that whatever the South African government really tries to clamp down no, on Mauritius, that's not, no, that's will they, not, no, will they that's give not. up the, 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 the books? You know, South Africans as a tourist uh, component is about 20%, maybe 15%. They are very much dependent on, the, on France, on the French. Right. But even in terms of, 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 of investments – no, we're a small factor. We're below 20%. So if, if, if the South African government goes to Mauritius and says we want to look at the books of South Africans. Not going to happen. Really? Not oh, okay, going to happen. Go to Mauritius, people. Put <laughs> your money Not going to happen. I'm not saying go to Mauritius. You no. can go to yeah. – almost you can go to Dubai, but uh, you might bump into old friends there. <laughs> a friend of mine did bump into AJ Gupta at the mall in Dubai. He did sent he me take a, video. a photograph? He sent me a video, but Ooh. it's very grainy. Yes. I, I wonder it, why. It is him. Oh, yeah. Because he had uh, 10 bodyguards around sure, him. He was sure. looking out suspiciously. <laughs> um, so, all right. This place is, is a shithole. Um, and it's going down into more shittier shitholes. If we, if you were in, in, in charge, Magnus, if you were in charge, how would you fix it? I have no idea how you'd fix ESCOM. 400 billion rand in the red. I don't know. In, SA, and then some. Yeah. SAA, relatively easy, just liquidate the bloody thing. And the rest of it, what would you do, Magnus, if you could? If you had the power and you were a dictator, how would you fix it? Well, first of all, I'll start applying the laws that are there, already there. I'll apply the laws. I mean, tax theft, vicar, flow of money. I will start applying the laws. I would put a couple of people in jail and very quickly. I would start confiscating the assets publicly. I would make examples of everybody in Transnet, Eskom, SAA, anywhere in the government who's been stealing money blatantly and got away with it. And I will put them in jail and, and for a very, very long time. That'll stop very quickly because I haven't, you know, spoken directly to certain people, but I've heard from people in the in in those one percenters. They say we're untouchable. We mm. are untouchable. Exactly. Nothing has happened. We can carry on stealing. We can do these tender deals. We're getting away with it. The banks are allowing it. The banks are not questioning where our money comes from. The politicians, the the, the MPA, the uh, that's where I will start. You make an example and put three to five hundred guys in a jail and take their stuff. But there's been, and, and, and this is what the Zona Commission has shown, there's been this unwillingness to investigate people because they connected, they protected. And that's a legacy of the Zuma years where the inner circle was protected. And nudge and a wink, you're okay, carry on. Nothing in writing, no email, no SMS, you're fine. We're not going to come after you. And we know it's been exact. So you answer, ask my question, that's where you start. You go on a dawn raid and you lock up 50 people mm -hmm. and then you start investigating them. So that's the easy part. That's the easy part. What about the economics? Well, then you start changing the government uh, policies in many, many respects. We have the infrastructure which we can be saved. It must be saved. Uh, but again, you, you can take out that Ricardo Hausmann study and go and give it to all your cabinet members and say, guys, this is what's going to happen. Free enterprise. Cut trade barriers. Cut the regulations. 
let the economy breathe. The economy's been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. It's not breathing. Give property rights to everyone. A lot of stuff you can do. You can, you can make South Africa tax haven. Open the doors. In many countries, Cyprus, Portugal, Spain, I've looked at some numbers, what they're earning per year from saying to these rich, um, what's it called, the baby boomers from around the world, say, come to Spain or come to Cyprus or come to whatever country, bring your money, low tax rate. Why doesn't South Africa do that? Every person who comes here as a tax millionaire and retires in South Africa for a part of the year creates five jobs, in my opinion. You need a maid, a gardener, a driver, the restaurant that you support. Make that official policy. Make it a tax haven for for the European winters. You'll have thousands of people pouring in. Wanting to set up. We still have fantastic uh, uh, areas to live in, the north coast of KwaZulu-Natal, south coast, the Cape. Uh, even Johannesburg is a wonderful place. Well, this has been going on a long time. I mean, Cape Town, it's well known. Cape Town is 60% uh, pretty much uh, Europeans. uh, Certain parts uh, of Cape Town is, um, English is the third spoken language. Those are the kind of innovative stuff that countries need to do to attract. Understanding that our days of making a lot of money from the commodity boom Mm. is over. We had that boom. It ended in 2011. What was the rand exchange rate in 2011? Six rand Six fifty. Yeah. Mm. We've woken up to the fact we cannot just think, oh, we're going to export everything and the money's going to pour in. So that's the kind of stuff we need to do. But it's all bad politics that has poisoned as well, and we're all paying the price for it now. Well, I'm, no I'm just wondering how many union leaders need to be shot. Well, there, there's another issue. <laughs> A couple of union leaders must be exposed for what they are. They're freeloading parasites riding on the so-called, we will look after you. But meanwhile, they, they're they really stealing money. They're really parasites. They're not contributing uh, to the cohesion of South Africa. And even that said, even if they contributed, there would be 11 million un- unemployed people who they don't contribute to because they don't represent the unemployed. They only represent the employed, well, even if they do their jobs properly. The foreign in investors commerce. will tell you, and the guys have just come back from a, in, uh, late last year, a week in London, foreign investments seminars, and you talk to the guys after a glass of wine or whatever saying, we love your country. Jeez, we'd love to invest there, but your unions are a throwback to 30, 40 years ago in the UK. Anarchists, they'll burn the place down rather than, rather than agreeing with the capitalists and the guys are putting down their cash. The guys say, I can put money in Chile. I can go to Australia. I can go to, Anywhere in the world where the labor unions are part of the solution, they're not the problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like like Germany. I think they got very Germany strong was part unions. of the very strong unions, but they pro business. Very pro business because they know they pro to be pro business to have you, more workers, to have more members, you need and to, to make, earn more money. You to need more to money. make a profit to survive. There's this; it just doesn't exist in South Africa. When we talked about the labor unions. The businesses are always branded as, as they just leeches, they're sucking the profits, and yeah. you have to make a profit to survive. I thought, I thought you set up a business to oppress black people. That's what I've been told numerous times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, the real no, parasites. So that, that's, that's what are, we are, need to talk about. The real parasites of RV et al. who have imposed these horrendous labor laws and have uh, burned down factories and killed their own people if they don't support strikes that they go on. And they call people like you and I and, and Jonathan parasites for wanting to make a bit of profit in our time here. Noseweek wrote a couple of articles about the textile factories in Newcastle and, the, mm. and they were raided by the labor unions and trade unions. They all closed down in Newcastle and moved to Lesotho. 
We have a very gone. good Yeah. We have a very good the board, friend, huh? A very good friend of the podcast, Impiaket Lamini. He is from Newcastle. Yeah. He now he works for the Free Market Foundation. And he says, overnight, you could just sense it. Growing up, vibrant, township life, economics, black market, under apartheid. Apartheid ended, textiles worked. Minimum wage, basic conditions came in, labor laws, it just closed up overnight. Now, now there's 70% unemployment. Correct. Now, is that what you want? Well, it, it, seem, it seemingly is what they want. And, and, and once again, I find it frustrating because, you know, we bang the drum on this, on this podcast. And of course, there are others, um, who've, who've, who've started in the space who also agree and, and will say things like the minimum wage is a bad idea. Um, and they'll try to explain why this is. But if you go and look for mainstream criticism of the minimum wage in, you know, on, uh, e-news on uh, in in perhaps in the Daily Maverick you might find a little bit but I'm not sure um, and all the other publications you just find very little of it and you what you mainly find is people going no no but minimum wage is only fair people should earn this amount per hour that's that's only reasonable and they they cannot possibly piece together the consequences of doing that well, when, I don't know what your first job was, but my first job was, I think I was 14 years old, growing up in Sydenham and Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. As a pocket money, I used to go mow people's lawns and yep. wash their cars. I used to now, roll cables. I didn't have money. My folks didn't have money. My folks said, you want money? Go and, go and, go and find it. And I did. Mm-hmm. Would I go knock on the door and say, what are your minimum wages you pay? Yeah, they'll laugh at you. they say, go somewhere else, man. So, yes, there's a debate pro and con, but it now, it criminalizes somebody who wants to work for under the minimum wage. It's your personal choice. What about liberty? I make a choice. I will work for 2,000 rand a month. If that's all I can get, I will take it. You know I'm a criminal because you're breaking the law, both of you. Yeah, yeah and, and minimum wage and, and labor regulations actually criminalizes internships. That too. Not, so, you want, so you want people to go to university, fine, and then they demand free education, you give it to them. But where, if you have other skills, artisanal skills, where do you develop them? You can't, because as an intern, generally, the the um, the thing was you get paid very little, but you're yeah. learning on you're the job. You're picking up skills which are very day. valuable over time. Exactly. I'm learning from you. You've been doing this for thirty years. Within a couple of years, I have your skills if I watch you carefully. And then now, be a plumber in South Africa. Go to Australia. They'll say tomorrow in you come. Yeah. Go as a lawyer. They're like, Psst. yeah, don't want, don't, don't want lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, there's definitely, I mean, the, the Labor Act in terms of being able to hire and fire people are the other problems. When you talk about internships, uh, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to employ someone for, for, you know, uh, six months. And then if, if you have, <laughs> they become a permanent employee basically by, by labor law. So there's all these things which are limiting people. I, re, I spoke to, um, Family members not too long ago who, who have a medium-sized business, employs about 35 people, and and uh, said to the owner of the business, I said, look, if the labor laws weren't in, in, in place, you know, if, if you could hire and fire as you pleased, uh, how many more people would you employ? And he said, between 10 and 15 tomorrow. But they don't do that because the commitment to employing a new employee is so great so if they if they don't work out, you can't really get rid of them. It's really hard. You've got to like have a whole bunch of steps you take. Um, you can't just go look. You're not working out. You've come in. 
Ramon, you've got a bad attitude. Nobody in the office likes you. Leave. No, you've got to deal with Ramon having a bad attitude and the whole workplace being a mess until you've given Ramon like three written warnings and they've yep. got to be all right and all the rest of that. Um, and still you'll end up in the CCMA. And you'll still end up at the CCMA. E- even if you get – even I mean, Ramon can come and steal the staplers and, 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 and take them home. What do um, do that, I'll take the laptops <laughs> and the safe. So, so, and he might still not lose his job. So – the, those sort of things uh, are, are such impediments to yeah. to the growth of yeah. the economy. It's 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 just it's unbelievable the small changes that could be made almost overnight um, to things like the Labour Act, to things like the Tax Acts. Uh, all of these small little changes. No, you don't need to abolish them completely, but just make little little corrections, um, and the economy would fly. Absolutely. I mean, in in my 20 or 30 years of running businesses, I only once ended up in the CCM. I had to fire someone for various reasons. And I was in front of the, of, of the judge at the CCM. And the only reason I won the case, he sent me an email after it fired him, and it was right after Cable was shot. It was like two days later. He says, I've got a bullet with your name on it. And I kept that email, huh. and I went to the judge. I said, Judge, whatever his arguments are, look at this email. This guy's threatening to shoot me like Kevil was shot two days ago. That's why I fired him. And she said, "Yeah, you're right. This guy is actually should you should be gone to the police." But I'm but I'm saying we all hear these horrific stories where someone has been unproductive, this not interested in your business. You fire them eventually, and then you have to end up paying them six months' salary. And yeah, so the risk job. is too great. To hire great. someone, the risk is high. Yeah. You've got to, when you hire someone, you've got to go. Okay, what happens if I fire them and I have to pay them a year's salary? Can my business afford that risk? So every person you hire, you have to take on that amount of risk. Yep, it's, it's basically a marriage. You have to <laughs> marriage be, is easier. You have to be in love huh? forever. And if you don't, they'll take half your shit when they leave. <laughs> Even though they were at fault, it is. Just, that, don't, just don't marry the housekeeper. That's what employment is, you know, I'm afraid. At divorce, she, she keeps the house. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. true. So, I mean, just to, yeah, let, let's, I need to go, um, to, to end it. Any, any ray of, of light, uh, coming from the heavens telling us that it'll be okay? Uh, any, anything that you see? In the future, other than than Venezuela uh, for South Africa, I think there are many, many warnings from many places in the world that South Africa is on the wrong track. And we, as citizens of this country, and people who live here and love this country like crazy, must realise that, geez, maybe sometimes we cannot control this process. You've got to look after yourself and think for yourself, mm. and don't be swayed by the alasarachum type of story you got to protect yourself and your family by doing certain things and people are doing it already they're cutting back on local assets they're selling dead capital properties they're starting to create offshore bank accounts for themselves as a and they also their planning is to educate themselves or the kid or the kids to have an international um, uh, um, work experience if they if it, if it comes to that so that's already happening and 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 quite rightly so while these things are happening the way they're happening that is the appropriate thing and the correct thing to do for yourself yeah and secession <laughs> well, got to well, do you want to break away from the cape well, i think the cape should break away uh, <laughs> ramon wants everything to break into small pieces yeah. Why not? Why can't we have 10,000 Oranias that trade with each other? Could be. All right. We, need, we need radical thinking. There we go. There we go. Magnus Haystack.
proponent no. for um, I think Dane Fern should break away Not from the rest of the Dane Fern can go and, and it can get nuked. It's a terrible place. <laughs> <laughs> we should have started on this topic. Yeah, we, sh- we should have. We Them should've. and Waterfall City can go together. You don't like Waterfall Estate now? Is it any estates you're I against? Like, I, I don't like estates generally. Oh, honest, yeah. I see. I see. All right. Well, no white picket fences for you, Ramon. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the the idea. Just quickly before we before we do wrap up, the the idea of of sort of secession, just as an economics one, I, you know, the argument being well. Some people say Cape can't secede because if the Cape secedes, it relies on South Africa for too much, and 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 as a separate country, where would it get whatever half its stuff, its fruit and veg, or its maize, for example, or whatever it is? I'm not saying they can't trade. I'm just saying what some people say is the argument. Um, other people say, yeah, they will just trade for that stuff. They'll they'll buy that stuff in exchange for other things, just like any other state does with 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 their neighbouring countries um, or other countries. Um, what's your what's your sort of take on I don't have, that? I don't have very strong views on that. I don't think it'll happen in the current circumstances. Mm. I think that, yeah, tongue and cheek around a bribe. People say, ah, the Cape must break away. It's not going to work, especially not. And I don't think the government will allow it. But you know, in, to a certain extent, it is already breaking away by doing the. I mean, the R. W. Johnson argument is that people are starting to run themselves. Totally unrelated to yeah. government, schooling, housing, electricity, water. Uh, so you still got the tax issue, but that's what people already are doing. You've got massive, big uh, developments in the Cape, and it's just an inflow. And eighty percent of people are coming from from Gauteng. Uh They're setting up there because the schools are better, and so it's kind of a breakaway to a large extent. Mm. But that's not in reality. It's part of South Africa. It would be de euro. It would be like a legal thing. It will be de facto. Correct. The, the central government will lose power. It will have no money to feed and to, to impose its will upon everyone else. So people will be like, okay, fine. We'll just do it ourselves. I just want communities and they're doing this greatly. They're taking over government services and then sending the bill to the, to the municipality to put, to pay. They went to court. I, I believe it was Grahamstown. I need mean, to find yeah, the judgment. Yeah. And the court said, yeah, you can do that. If the community fixes a pothole in the road, you can send that bill to the municipality and the municipality Municipality must pay must you back. back. Correct, yes. But you know what's happening in municipalities. That's a topic for another two-hour discussion. But you've got places like Val which if you look at it, is that is the Uber estate in the world. I mean, it's going to be like 3,000 homes under a dome, and it's got its, you know, everything is self-contained. And water, and electricity, got their winelands there. Effectively, that's what's going to happen. Smart people with money who've got skills will do that. They'll move away from the... Where the places are breaking down, and they'll move to places like Valdivi and Erinvale and places in the Cape. Yeah. But they'll have their businesses global. Absolutely. Business in Use Mauritius, cryptocurrencies to Bank get paid. account in, 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 in Jersey or Guernsey. Anywhere where the local government or the ANC cannot touch my money. Again, coming back to the point, they realize ultimate control is control of your money. Yeah. So what do you do? You shift your money. And create a banking system abroad, and that's what a lot of people are doing. And adopt cryptocurrencies in the in the short term. Uh, there's a, a good friend of mine who's lost quite uh, last position. Uh, talk about the Lagosification of of South Africa. So if you look at Lagos, you have you have urban sprawl, eighty percent of it squalor, and then you got these these beams pockets of, of excellence, pockets of excellence, yes. 
And that's exactly what is, is happening is and will continue to happen. Waterfall Estate will be the Republic of Waterfall in 30 years' time. You'll need a passport and a microchip in your palm to get through. And they're going to have drone armies and you're going to have, <laughs> and you're going to have, and you're going to have, uh, you can have an airport in there. Ramon's been watching Sooner too much YouTube lately. He's loving the drone armies. You, you will, from Waterfall, you'll be able to travel all over the world, I bet you, within 30, 40 years. I think it's right. You'll have uh, heliports or drones pick you up, take you to the airport, and off you go. Absolutely. You will not mix with the uh, other parts of the country, and, and it's got bad connotations, but that is what's happening. People are rational when it when it comes to these kind of things. I know it. When last were you in Berea, Yobel, uh, or Hilbra? When last, last week. Have you been? <laughs> Two weeks ago. That's yeah. Lagos. Par excellence. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I used to grow up in, in, in Hillbrow Place. Squash there. Uh, there was fantastic nightclubs and restaurants. And mm. That's how quickly it can happen. Yep. And there's no law and order in that place. Even the cops will not go in there. They're scared. Yeah. And that's your danger is that, that it spreads. Yeah. So a few principles to learn from this podcast. Move your money overseas or buy buy Bitcoin. It's more stable than uh, your salary and your pension fund. <laughs> Don't know about the buy Bitcoin part. <laughs> we didn't talk cryptocurrency. You, you, are you a fan or not? No. Yeah. No. No. So don't no. buy Bitcoin according okay. to Magnus. Well, maybe I should ask you. Explain mm. Bitcoin to me. It's a it's a open I will do a terrible job at this. You will. It's basically a, a public ledger. That uh, you send money to over over the network, but it's a distributed network. So there's millions of computers around the world that process these transactions. No, doing so, terrible and your job. money is safe. So it can't be yeah, shut off. Your money is safe. Your, your money, money is, is safe, safe unless you move it to what is called, and I forgot what it's called. What's Luno called? Like a... A wallet, uh, no. Yeah, well, no, you should have it in a wallet. You shouldn't have it on exchange. On exchange. Mm, if you, okay. it, it's, like, it's like a bank being robbed. So people buy... Bitcoin on an exchange and they leave it there. They don't take it to their digital wallets. So it's like an exchange is like a bank. So it can I'm, be hacked. I'm kind of going to stick with my investing bank account in Mauritius for a while. For a while. <laughs> Excellent. Right. But principles money out, move to Valdivy and, um, yeah, get, get solar panels and a borehole. <laughs> Well, you don't need that if you move to Valdeby. That's uh, true. Talking of which, Rake, Nietling, we'd love to have you on the podcast sometimes. So, yes, uh, uh, you favorite our tweets. We see you. Please, please pull in. Uh, Magnus, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, you guys can find Magnus on Twitter at Magnus Haystack. That's correct. Uh, and they can go, I'm sure, to your website, Brenthurst Wealth Management. Uh, and I'm sure if they want some more advice, uh, more personalized advice, they can come Fortunately, to you for that. I've got 15 very smart investment advisors who can help you. Yeah. So uh, there you go, and uh, we do hope you enjoyed. That, I did indeed. Podcast. Thank you very much, guys. It's awesome. Thank you. To, thank you for coming in, and we'd love to have you back sometime. Great, awesome. You can listen to us uh, as always every week. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, both the, both the page and the group on uh, Twitter at Renegade underscore Report. Ramon is at Roman Kabanek. Myself at Jonathan underscore Wit. Thank you very much for listening. Support the show on PayPal or just send Ramon Bitcoin. Chat to you later. Cheers. This is CliffCentral.com.